Uh, this is a, a very unique series for me. It's one that um, I've been very excited about. I was going to wait until January to preach it, but it just uh, the closer um, that we got to it, the more the Lord just really um, just began to, I just knew in my heart that this was, this was what we needed to go through. And last, last week in the first message, we basically just came to this, this one just amazing uh, conclusion um, that God is in all things, and we said that all things means all things, that God through all things um, is working for our good and ultimately to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He just says, listen, for every single believer, every single uh, person that has their faith in Jesus Christ, it is our destiny. It is our destiny to be conformed through the course of our life into the image of Jesus Christ, which sounds amazing on paper. But for some of us uh, with a lot of struggles and weaknesses and issues um, in our life, we're thinking, well, I wonder when that process is going to take place. And uh, it's one thing for a preacher to stand on a stage and say, hey, the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus is going to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, and then all oh, you're sitting there thinking, well, I got a whole bunch of things he hadn't conformed yet. And uh, wondering when that's going to start happening. So through the course of this series, we're going to, a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, it's, it's a lot of times we, 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 say the, we say the what is going to happen, but we forget to say the, the how. You know what I mean? Or even the why sometimes. And through the course of this series, we're going to really figure out the ways that God works in our lives and actually conforms us on a very real and practical level. Um, as we kind of go through this, this series, if you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 10. Um, there's a, a, a guy in the Bible who is one of those like supernatural, uh, just, uh, you can make that go away right now. Just one of supernatural, um, just a dude, like his name's Paul. It just, if you, if you knew anything about the Bible, uh, Paul is like one of those superheroes. He's one of those people that you look at and you just think like, man, like, like how in the world does he do what he did? If you don't know a lot about Paul, I just want to take a second just to teach you a little bit about Paul. Paul was um, a highly educated, highly influential, highly respected leader of the Jewish people who was also Roman, and the Romans loved him and highly respected him. And, and in his first career, and see, I hear a lot of people, you know, they're kind of ashamed of their first job. You know, like, yeah, I used to work at, uh, you know, McDonald's, or I used to do this, and, you know, I used to do that. Well, his first job was murdering Christians. So that was, that was Paul's first job. He was really good at it. Uh, he was very systematic. He was a great organizational leader. Uh, he was just awesome at it. And the church, early church, feared Paul because he was so brilliant. He was so intellectual. He was so smart. Um, and he was able to just basically dismantle a lot of the early church. And so um, one day Paul was going on the, on the road to Damascus um, and, and God showed up in his life. Jesus just came and just uh, presented him just in a crazy, amazing way. One of those, uh, just one of those biblical stories where it's just like you just, we can't imagine how amazing it was for Paul in that moment. Paul's on his way to arrest and murder Christians who are serving Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ in the flesh shows up um, into Paul's life, and Paul's life is never the same. In fact, he left that very day and then became the most influential leader in the history of the church. It's just one of those amazing things. And in a very real way, he preached the gospel to all of Asia. He pretty much built churches just all over the known world. Um, he was brilliant. And one of the things about Paul as you look into his life is if there was ever somebody in scripture, if there was ever anybody in scripture except for Jesus Christ, of course, that you would say that is probably the most unshakable person 
in all of the Bible, it would be Paul. Because Paul was arrested multiple times uh, wrongly. He was persecuted in ways that we really can't imagine. He was beaten. Uh, he was betrayed by the people that was closest to him multiple times. Rome, at the end of the day, hated him. The Jews began to hate him. And even people within the own church began to turn on him. He faced opposition around every corner, everywhere he went. He didn't know if they were going to uh, offer him some food and water or if they were just going to start throwing rocks at him. I mean, he was around every turn. And, and, and I don't mean like he was just persecuted for his beliefs. I mean, the dude just had some pretty rough luck because at one point, he's literally, he gets on a ship as a prisoner, not once, but twice, the ship that he wrecks, and he gets stranded on an island, twice. He gets bitten by a poisonous snake, and at some point, if I'm Paul, I'm literally looking up to God, and I'm like, what the heck, bro? <laughs> like, you came, you knocked me off my horse, I was on my way to kill some Christians, you knocked me off my horse, you changed my whole life. Uh, and, and then literally from that day forward, it just seemed like every time I walk around a corner, I'm like shipwrecked or I'm stuck on an island or I'm in prison or I'm getting beaten or I'm getting bit by a black mamba. And like, and I just, I don't, you know, I mean, it's just this, this dude. And if you go through and you read Acts and you just study his life, I mean, it was, I mean, anything but easy. I mean, I mean, difficult was like an understatement, all right, for Paul. I mean, this was absolutely, and I know that we're, our lives are really tough. I get that. All right. But, but like, it's the things that we complain about. Paul would literally laugh in your face for the most part. I mean, this is a daily occurrence for him. I mean, there was so much stress, so much pressure. But this is the thing that is so amazing for me as I look into Scripture. He absolutely, through everything, all of that, and there's so much more. I don't have enough time to tell you all of that. He never once bent under the pressure. He was absolutely, by all definitions of the word, unshakable. Unshakable. And he was also a little bit insane because in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he, he makes this statement. And I just want to read the statement to you. And I just want to look at how absolutely insane he really is. This is ver 2 Corinthians verse 12, uh, of chapter 12, verse 10. This is what he says. He goes, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I delight in weaknesses. I find pleasure in insults. I find pleasure in hardships. I delight in persecutions and in difficulties. Now, this is going to be a difficult message for all of us. This is going to be a really difficult message for my generation. I call the millennials. Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching the news lately, um, but what the heck, y'all? Dude, I'm like one of the oldest part of the millennials, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, like, come on. Like, the whiniest, most little, got to bring a puppy into school. Because you don't like the outcome of the election. I mean, sitting on the floor, crying like a child, playing with Play-Doh. That's the millennial generation. And it's funny, and it's frustrating, especially for me, because I am one, and I look around, and I'm going, guys, this is, when all, when all the old next generation moves on in life, we're going to be ruling the world, and this is my team. It's like if I, I, I show up at a new school playing football and I walk out there and there's a bunch of little girls standing around. And I'm like, really? This is, this, is the, this is the team I'm playing the game with right here. But it's true. And so listen, I just want to be very blunt with you guys. This is going to be hard for everybody, but this is going to be really hard for the participation trophy. You don't have any problems. Your parents take care of everything generation. 
All right, this is going to be difficult for you guys because you're not going to like it because someone lied to you and told you life is supposed to be easy. Someone told you that you are more special than everybody else and you deserve everything you want and you get everything you want. And if it's easy, something's wrong. Life's not going to be difficult. And this is why when we, something happens in the election and we sit down and we just crumble like an entire generation, sit down and play with dogs and Play-Doh and cried their eyes out. And all this is, is a massive magnifying glass focusing in on a very real issue with that generation and really the human race in general. Because when it comes to Christianity and it comes to being faithful in Christ, there is coming a time when if we take that mentality into that, we will never make it. At some point in life, and I got no problem saying this, at some point in life, you got to grow up, harden up, and learn how to take a few shots, or you're just not going to make it. And so, and, th- and this is Paul, and I, and I want you to understand, Paul's not just saying, yeah, I made it through some. This moron is saying, I delight in, no, go back, I delight in weaknesses, find pleasure in insults, hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. Now, listen, I want you to understand, I want to explain this, because this word, they, they carry a heavy meaning. So weaknesses, this is not just like, yeah, I, must, I got some weaknesses. This is, this is like you get a situation in your life, or there's something in you, you don't have the ability to get the job done. You don't have within you, it means wanting of strength. So it means you find yourself in a circumstance, or you find yourself in a situation where you don't have uh, the ability, or, or the opportunity, you, you, there's nothing within you that can do what needs to be done. Does that make sense? So it's like if I were to walk into my living room and I were to pick up my keys, I could do that because I, I've got the strength to do that. I have the ability to pick up my keys. But if I were to go into my garage and try to pick up my car, I couldn't do that because I don't have the ability to do that. I, I'm weak in that area. I'm, I'm, I, I can't do it myself. And so there's these, there's these situations we find ourselves in our lives to where we're truly weak in a sense of we cannot do it ourselves. Does that make sense? See, and in this country, we try, to, we try to act like we don't have any weaknesses. We try to run from them and hide from them and justify them and tell them why they don't matter and tell them why they don't exist. And, and, and the ones that we know we're really ashamed of are the ones when they come up, we get the maddest about, right? Courtney, Courtney knows all my weaknesses, and when we get to that point, and, and, and they get exposed, which is about an everyday basis for me, and, and it's the thing that she's like, you know, babe, this is, this is true in your love. And I'm like, no, it's not! But it very much is, and the matter I get, really, all I'm saying is, yeah, I know, it's right, all right? We all have these areas in our life. And so I want to that. Paul doesn't just try to justify them or hide them or act like they're not there. Paul says, dude, I get excited about them. When I get in situations and my weaknesses are there and I know that I can't do it, I delight in them. This guy's an idiot. He goes on, he goes on to say, in insults. And this isn't just like uh, your mama's so old insults. I mean, this is, it literally, it literally means like, like you, somebody has verbally branded you damaged you for life. This is like, this is one of those things that when they say it to you, and it's usually from people that are closest to us, usually like a parent or a sibling or a grandparent or a child that's somewhere, a best friend, they say something to you and it's not just like it makes you mad, it, it, it hurts you. It, it literally means it brands you like you would brand cattle. It means that it sticks with you. There's this internal emotional pain that comes from it, that it affects your life. You carry it with you as time goes on. Does that make sense? And I would be willing to bet that every single person in this room, you've been branded at a time. You've gone through something in your life where somebody has, has branded you, has verbally attacked you, has have insulted you in such a way that, that it truly, it changed, it was so strong and it was so powerful that it changed the way you viewed yourself. That's how real it was. And I think about a few of those times in my life, and, and the last thing that I would ever say about those situations was, dude, I'm looking forward to the next time. 
I just can't wait. To, I just can't wait to walk into a room and have my life shattered again. Just can't. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. It's not like I'm going to Carowinds and I'm going to ride a roller coaster. That's how, that's how Paul views this. He's like, I'm excited about it. I'm delighted in it. I can't wait to go through it again. I mean, just think about that insanity. Think about that. He's got to know something we don't know. He goes, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, in hardships, hardships. This is, the, and, and I want you to get this. This is when outside forces exert extreme pressure on our lives. This isn't like you got a flat tire. This is like at a, precisely the wrong moment, your boss calls you in on Friday to fire you, and you've got your mortgage payment due the next week, and you don't have the ability to do it. And now your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids, they're about to go through an extreme time of pressure that you guys might not make it through. Does that make sense? This isn't like you stubbed your toe. This isn't like, this isn't like the other guy won. Like this is very real, genuine, horrible, exerting pressure on your life. Like the economy crashes. Right? Something horrible. I mean, just something difficult. A tragedy in your family. Something that just exerts pressure. This isn't like a small thing. This is a big. And I've been through a few of these situations in my life. Probably not like Paul, but I've been through a few of them. And the last thing I would ever say is, man, dude, that was so much fun. Dude, I'm just thrilled. I can't wait to do it again. That was, that was brilliant. I've never contemplated suicide before. That was just an awesome experience. Right? This is how difficult it is. And Paul's like, dude, I delight in it. He goes on to say persecutions. Now, the definition of this, I love this definition of persecution. It literally means to hunt someone down like an animal. Because there's something about them, there's a conviction that they have, there's a belief that they have that you don't like. Right, we've experienced this. Now, this is something we really kind of are going through as a nation right now. Both sides. We're persecuting people because they have different convictions than us. And we are being persecuted in many ways because we have different convictions than them. Right? That's what they, they want to suppress we want to suppress something, and, and, and we see this a lot on a day-to-day -day basis. When you have one of those moments with God that just kind of shatters your life just in an amazing way, and, and you get up, and you're just a little bit different, and you, know, and, and you just want to do things a little bit different, and you're not, you're not doing the things you used to do, and you're not talking the way you used to talk, and, and there's just things in your life that are changing, but all the, the old friends of the crew that you used to run with, they don't really like all the new things going on in your life. They don't like the new convictions that you have. They don't like the new direction that your life is going, and so they just kind of come after you a little bit, and they attack you verbally, and they make you feel bad, and they're calling you a hypocrite, and they're calling you judge, and all of a sudden, who used to be your closest friend group or the closest people that you could count on now because you've got some new convictions in your life, they're just hammering down on you, and it's just, and that is by definition persecution. Now, that's not like the worst type of persecution. Probably the worst type of persecution is like getting hung upside down on a cross and killed like, like Paul did, but, or Peter did, or one of them. I read the Bible. All of them died. Except for John, Island of Patmos, but you didn't know that, wrote Revelations. I know the Bible. I hope all that's true. <laughs> that's persecution. That means there's something about you. Dude, and I'm telling you, and I, I've, I've, I went through this in a huge way when, and, and when I was in my late teen years, when I first really started. And I remember that it was just some of the worst. Some of my closest friends I don't even talk to anymore because of my relationship with Jesus. That's a difficult thing. Never one time have I been like, man, dude, I'm just pumped. That was awesome. I can't wait to get really close to somebody and then have that relationship jerked out of my life forever. 
just a great thing to go through. No. But he's like, dude, I'm, I'm delighted in those situations. And then difficulties. He mentioned this, this last word. And I want you to know, this is more, an internal distress. Literally, it means because walls are closing in on your life. Like it's get, Things are getting so bad. Things are getting so stressful. Things are getting so tight that it's just, it's just, it's just bringing, like, just like walls, like you're just getting closed into, and it creates this picture that, just, that you're running out of options. It's just getting so bad in your life. You're getting to the place. It's so difficult. It's so hard. It's so stressful. You're getting to the place in your life where you literally don't know if it just keeps going this way. You're never going to be able to make it out. That's difficulty. Now, just a show of hands, just a show of hands, how many people have been through some of these things before? You don't raise your hand, you are a filthy liar. Maybe you're not filthy, but you're a liar. Now, show of hands, if you're like, dude, I'm pumped, I want to do it again. Don't raise your hand, dude. I will call you. This is not the time, because I'll be like, okay, tell me about it. Tell me why you're so excited about it. No, the, the reality of it is that we're, most of us aren't, unless you're just like super, super spiritual and you already know the principle that we're going to talk about today and good for you. But most average normal human beings, we, don't, we would never say this sentence. We would, I just want to read it again. We would never say this sentence. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We would never say this. So this leaves me to believe mostly because I prepared this message and I know that he knows something that we don't know. A few verses earlier, he begins, he begins to teach us something that he went through because Paul didn't always feel this way. He didn't always get excited about persecution and difficulties and hardships and insults and weaknesses. He didn't always get excited about finding himself in situations where he didn't have the ability to get through it. Another thing, and I mentioned this, but I want you to understand this about Paul. When I say Paul was like a gifted human being, he was like the most gifted human being. He's like that guy that like you don't like because he's so much better at you than everything. It's like that guy at work that he just smiles, he never has a bad day, everything's amazing, he always gets promoted, and you hate him. Like, that's Paul in the Christian world. Ask Peter. All right? I'm just assuming Peter didn't like Paul because they fought all the time. That's in the Bible. Read it. Paul was given immense amount of revelations and knowledge and wisdom. He was blessed with gifts beyond our understanding. He was just one of those, just outside his mind, amazing. And this left him prone to pride in his life and to conceit is the word that he uses, arrogance. And, and he gets in there, and he's talking to us, and this really doesn't have anything to do with, except that he's, he's going to teach us something about the way that God works in this life, about the way that God conforms us to his image. He's about to teach us something, so he, he brings up this thing in his life, and he says, yeah, I've been blessed with crazy amount of, 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 of revelations and wisdom and knowledge and gifts and abilities, and he says, because of these things, because of these things, I'm prone to conceit. He says, but I'm not conceited. I don't deal with it. And he's going to teach us why. Here we go. This is in verse 6. Just listen to the cockiness in this statement. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. 
I mean, just think, say that out loud. Even if I was to tell you how awesome I was, I wouldn't be wrong because I'm right. <laughs> it's true. I am that amazing. I mean, some of us are like, I know that. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> You're arrogant. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or what I say. He goes on to explain why. In verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. I want you to listen to this. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. I just, I, I just think this is funny. To keep me from becoming prideful because of how awesome I am. I just think this is, I don't know why, I just think that's funny for me. To keep me from becoming conceited because of, of how much I've been blessed because of these surpassingly great revelations that God has given me. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That's some heavy words. And see, and I want you to know, in the beginning, Paul didn't understand that this thorn in his flesh had a purpose. He didn't know that. He didn't, he didn't get that in the beginning. All he knew is that he had something he was dealing with that he refers to as a messenger of Satan. I mean, he, he felt like it was, it was so bad, it was so, it was so dark, it was so difficult, it was so hard that, that it was like from the pits of hell, like it's the only place that it could be. And he said, use the word, and it tormented him. It was so difficult. That word torment just means it's just like you're just getting beat up constantly, day in and day out. You're just getting the crap just beat out of you, just every day, all day. He was given a thorn in his flesh. Now, I've heard people try to talk about what the thorn is, and they're taking guesses, and some people say it was a sickness. They're wrong. Some people say it was some bunch of other stuff, and they're wrong, and some people say a bunch of other crap, and they're wrong because nobody knows what it was. Nobody knows what it was. But all we know is, is that there was something in Paul's life that he describes as a thorn in his flesh, a painful thing in his life. He said it was a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. It was this difficult thing. Now, I want you to understand this. This isn't like, you know, you got a bad grade. This wasn't like your boss asked you to work over late. All right, it, it, it wasn't you had a bumper accident on the way to church. It wasn't, it wasn't you guys were, you know, you're fighting about with your wife or your spouse where you're going to go eat. It, it's, it's not, I mean, this is, this is an immense amount of pain. Maybe physical Maybe emotional, maybe spiritual. We don't really know the extent of it. We just know that it's, it's, it's in his mind from the gates of hell and that it is extremely tormenting to him. And we know now, and Paul's teaching us, that this thorn had a purpose. This thorn had a purpose in his life, and he saw it as a good thing. Eventually he came, he saw it as a good thing. He said, because of this thorn, because of this messenger from Satan, because of this torment, this thing has stopped me. Whatever it is has stopped me from being conceited. Stopped me from being prideful. See, if you're being conformed into the image of Christ, pride's something that can't be there at the end of that process. So God's got to deal with that somehow in your life, right? And that goes for every other thing, every other weakness, every other struggle, every other addiction, every other unhealthy desire, every other sin in your life, every other wrong way of thinking, every other unchristlike thing in your life eventually has to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God has to deal with that some way in your life. And what Paul is saying, this is a way that God deals with some of those things in our lives. He said, I'm not concerned. I could be, and I'm prone to be, and sometimes I want to be because I'm so amazing, but I'm not because of this thing in my life. 
And the way that we know that Paul in the beginning did not know that this was, this, this was a good thing, did not know that this thorn had a purpose, that he didn't know that this turmoil, this, tur- the, this torment it went somewhere, it, was, it, it had a thing, it was doing something in his life, is because it said that he did the same thing that you and I would do if we were in a situation like this. It said that he pleaded with God three times. He pleaded with God three times for him to take it away. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And I want you to know that this isn't like he had a, like a prayer on Monday, you know, like before lunch. And was like, God, hey, uh, could you take this thorn out of my flesh for me? It's getting, it's getting kind of annoying. This isn't like he, he had three days of prayer. One, two, this is like he had three distinct seasons of his life where it was so agonizing and it was so annoying and it was so frustrating and it was so painful that he pleaded with the Lord, that he begged God. It literally means, he, it literally, that word means I've come to the end of myself and I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. God, take this away from me. I can't do it anymore. I can't overcome it. This thing is going to crush me. If you don't take this from me, if you don't change this circumstance, if you don't change this situation, it's going to crush me. God, I need you to take it away. Not once, not twice, but three times he pleads with God, take this away from my life. And to all the millennials, he didn't. So learn this lesson. God's okay if you suffer a little bit. Accept that truth early on in your life. Well, I don't understand why. His thoughts are greater than your thoughts. His ways are greater than your ways. You are the pot. He is the potter. We don't even really get to question him. He's God. His will is going to be done. Paul pleads. Pleads. And God says no. And it was after this third time. It was after this third time that he that God speaks to Paul's heart and he teaches him an extremely powerful truth. It says three times in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But instead of taking it away, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this is no small thing, this thorn. He begs three times, God says no. And then he speaks to Paul's heart and he says, I want you to understand something. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. That, that gift of grace, uh, that forgiveness, that relationship that you have with me, the relationship that you have with God, the forgiveness of your sins, the washing away of your sins, that entire process, that entire gift of grace, everything that you would ever need is sufficient. It's sufficient within your relationship with me. That grace is sufficient. And he goes on to explain why. My grace is sufficient for my power. This is Jesus talking. My power is perfected. It's made perfect. It's at its fullest extent in your weakness. 
So I want, you to, I want you to understand the power of this. The word power literally just means the extreme ability to perform. It means marvelous works. It means that, 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 that it, whatever the, the weakness is, is I can't do it, and the power is, is the opposite of that. I can do it. I have the ability to do it. I have a great ability to do it, a strong ability to do it. I have the power. I, a marvelous works, great deeds. It literally is the same word that comes to, to the idea of dynamite. It's just this strong, amazing ability to get the job done, whatever that may be. That's what that word means. So Jesus says, listen, in your weakness, remember what weakness means. Weakness means that when you get to a situation in your life or you come to a place where you know within yourself you don't have the ability to make it. You don't have the ability to do it. You can't make it through on your own, even if you tried. Jesus is in that situation right there for every believer, every follower of Christ. That situation right there is when my power is at its fullest. The reason that many of us don't experience the extreme power of Jesus Christ in our life is because we never allow ourselves to become so broken before him we accept in our heart and in our mind I can't make it another day without him see a lot of our a lot of our, our, our mentality on life is that we can do it, we can make it, we can endure it, we can go through, we have the ability, we're smart enough, strong enough, we can do it, we can get there, we can, we can make it through. We don't really need Jesus, we don't really need God. We're not desperate for him. We're not broken in a sense that we know that we need Jesus above all things. It's just kind of not what it is. Jesus is just kind of a part of our life. It's just kind of there. The Bible's just kind of there, even though we really don't read and study. You know, this, I get the spirit of God thing, but I really don't need it. I'm just kind of doing my thing, and I'm not really in that big a need of God. And in those moments... The opposite would be that Jesus' power uh, is not made perfect, that Jesus' power may not even be there because you don't need him, because you don't really want it. You don't really want to experience. So what, what Paul is trying to, to teach us, what God taught him and what he's trying to teach us, he said it's in these moments of weakness where we will experience the power of God more than any other time in our life. That in those moments of weakness, and that we get to that place in our marriage where we know it is going to end because I don't have the ability to do it. And we turn it over to God and we say, this is, it's going to fall apart without you. It's in that moment that the power of Christ rises up and is made perfect. It's in that situation you get to in a, a financial hole, one of the hardships, the difficulties, when the walls are closing in, and it's so difficult, and it's so hard that you know that you're not going to be able to make it through on your own. You can't do it. You don't have the answer. You don't have the ability, and it's going to crush you. It's in that moment when we humble ourselves before God that his power rises up and is made perfect in our life. I look back over the course of my life. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. I look back over the course of my life. And the most powerful things that I have seen God do in my life were birthed out of these crazy situations of suffering and pain. Paul goes on to say, and he says, he goes, this is why I boast in, 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 
and 10, verse 10, or verse 9. He says, this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, about my inabilities, about those situations, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That word boasting, it literally means I've, I, what I, whatever makes you hold your head high, whatever gives you confidence. He says, he says see, before my weaknesses, my hardships, my difficulties, all these things, I, I just let them crush me. I ran from them. I didn't want to face them. I didn't want to go through them. He said, but now I've seen God move so many times in these impossible situations. I've seen God come through so many times when I come to the end of myself. I've seen God come through so many times when, in, in my weaknesses and in, in the hardships and in the difficulties. I've seen God come through so many times. Now when I see them coming and I begin to experience them, I become more confident. Not less confident, not less courageous, not le more scared, not more fearful. He says, I become more confident. I become boastful almost because I know I'm coming to the end of myself. And when I come to the end of myself, when I come to the end of my pride, when I come to the end of my arrogance and I humble myself before God and I know that I don't have the ability to do it, it's in these moments when Christ's power shows up in an amazing, amazing, life-altering, earth-shattering way and he accomplishes what needs to be done. And see, this begins to make sense to me now for Paul. So when Paul walks into a city and there's a small army waiting on him to stone him to death, and he's like, whoo, I'm trapped. Nothing I can do. They're going to kill me. I'm out. I, that's it. I'm at the end of myself. But somehow he was stoned. Stoned to death. But he lived. He was shipwrecked. Not much you can do when the ship's going down. He's like, dude, I'm pumped. Because I, there's nothing I can do. God's, I'm about to watch God do a miracle. I'm about to see God come through. I'm about to see something amazing. You see what the mentality changed? He walks into Rome. They go and they arrest him. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. The Roman government, the most powerful force on the earth, had got me incarcerated. I don't, I don't know what, I'm at the end of myself. I don't know what God has planned. Do you know that it was in that Roman jail that he wrote almost half of the words of this Bible? Some of the most powerful truths that have come into the history of this world came through a moment that most of us would run from. You go back through Genesis to Revelation and you see where God moved the most. Where God moved the most in Moses' life was when he was at the end of, when he was in a situation where it is absolutely over if you don't do something. David's life, Elisha, Elijah, all of them. You go through, this is where God chooses to move the most in those situations when you realize I can't do it without it. Do you realize that as Jesus Christ laid down before God in the garden of Gethsemane and he began to pray to God he knew what was coming. He knew how painful. He knew what he was about to do. He knew the suffering that was about to take place in his life. He even said to God if there's any other way to do this 
if there's any other direction we can go, let's go that way. But if it's your will for me to drink this cup, if it's your will for me to go through the cross, and I'll, I'll go through the suffering, I'll go through the pain. But it was through this suffering and even death that this universe experienced the most powerful thing God has ever done when he raised the resurrected Son of God that saved the entirety of humanity. So here's something that is extremely unpopular in today's culture. You will not experience the extreme perfected power of Jesus Christ unless you walk through a season of suffering. If you want it easy, you probably won't ever experience the extreme perfected power of Christ. You don't want to walk through difficult seasons, you probably won't ever experience the power of a perfected Christ. It's in the seasons of suffering. It's in the seasons of torment. It's in the seasons of hardships. It's in the seasons of difficulties. It's in the seasons of insults. It's in the seasons of persecutions. It's in the seasons of when the walls are closing in on you that God moves the most. Because it's in those moments that the arrogance of the human heart is truly squashed. And the only thing we have left to do is to cry to a holy, insurmountably powerful, great and amazing God.